You know, some people are easy to love. And some, not so much. For instance, you take a look at that person. Very easy to love. And even these are pretty easy to love. Although I must admit, as they grow older, that some of that's wearing off. But now, this guy right here. Not so easy to love at all. I, I live with that guy every day. I know how hard it is to love him. And because of that, sometimes I, I get a little jealous of some of the things that I see in Scripture and some of the, the things that the people in the Bible got to experience. For instance, look at Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 23. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 23. Daniel had been praying because he had read Jeremiah and he knew that the captivity would be over in about 70 years if, if the people of God prayed and repented. And as he was praying, an angel came to him. And in Daniel 9.23 it said, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Then later, in chapter 10 and verse 11, as the angel is speaking to Daniel again, it says, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. And then in verse 19 again, the angel said, O man greatly loved. Daniel was a man greatly loved by God. The angel tells him that three times. O man Greatly loved. And sometimes I get a little envious. And, and I wish that I could have some type of theophany, some vision of God or of Jesus or of the Spirit or, or, or an angel or something just telling me, yes, God greatly loves you. However, I recognize that in reality, I, I don't need to have that kind of experience to know whether or not God loves me. I can take a look at men like Daniel in the Scripture that God says He greatly loved. And I can compare my life to His. If my life is similar to Daniel's, then God feels similarly toward me as He did Daniel. On the other hand, if my life is wholly different from Daniel, then perhaps God doesn't feel the same way. I want us to take a look at the life of Daniel and what it was about his life that caused him to be a man greatly loved so that we can be men and women greatly loved by God. Before we do that, though, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, you are indeed awesome and powerful. You are the great God, the creator of all the universe. And you sent your Son to die for us and gave your Spirit that we might know your Word. And we are so thankful for the mercy of, that you've bestowed upon us. Help us, Father, to be people like Daniel. That we might be people that you can greatly love. So that when we stand before you in judgment, we might be able to hear, enter in good and faithful servant. Forgive us, Father, because we know we've sinned. We've sinned greatly. We've sinned repeatedly. We've even sinned recently. And we pray that you would forgive us of our sins and help us to overcome these that we might glorify and honor You, that we might grow to be more like Your Son. Help us to be conformed to His image so that in eternity we may be like Him. 
Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. The very first problem that we have with this issue of Daniel being a man greatly loved, and the confusing thing is that as we read that in Daniel 9.23 and 10.11 and 10.19, it almost seems like God is, is separating Daniel out as though he is separate from the rest of mankind as a man greatly loved. But we already know passages like 1 John 4, 7 and 8 that says, The love let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We know that God is love. God loves everyone. God loves everyone unconditionally. And so how is it that he can look at Daniel and here in chapter 9.23, separate him out as though he is special from everyone else as a man greatly loved? Let me see if I can get that turned down a little bit. Is that a little bit loud? Because it seems loud to me. Maybe not. All right. Is that a little better? Okay, good. A man greatly loved. Well, the, the issue here is the word translated loved in this verse is not the Hebrew word that we would most commonly accept or relate to that concept of God's unconditional love. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that most commonly relates to our idea of God's love for all mankind is the word ahab or ahaba. And we find examples of it in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 37 where he says, And because he loved, Ahab, your fathers, and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. This is that concept of that love like we see in 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8. The God is love concept. Or we have another passage in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, there's that, that same word. That's the word in the Old Testament that would correspond to what we generally see as God's love and unconditional love. That, however, is not the word in Daniel 9.23. The word in Daniel 9.23 is the word kimda. And we see it in a couple of different contexts. I'd just like to share with you three of them to help us understand what this word actually means. For instance, 1 Samuel 9.20, As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, this is when Saul, the king, who would be king, had gone off looking for these donkeys, and now Samuel's talking to him. He says, Don't set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? So, see, that's the word in Daniel 9.23, and here it's translated desirable. So when the angel says to Daniel, you are a man greatly loved, he's saying you are desirable to God. God desires you. He desires people like you. Or consider another context. This time in First Chronicles 20 and 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoils, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious, there's our word again, precious things, which they took for themselves until they, until they could carry no more. So when the angel said to Daniel, you are a man greatly loved, he's saying, you are a man that is precious to God. You are a man that is desirable to God. And one more, we'll notice in Psalm 106.24, then they despised the pleasant, that's supposed to be pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. So the idea is that Daniel was desirable, precious, and pleasant. To God. Do you see what the difference is here between this and our common concept when we talk about the unconditional love of God? 
God loves everyone unconditionally. And because God loves everyone unconditionally, He sent His Son to die for everyone so that everyone might be saved. And that's how He demonstrated His unconditional love for all people. However, God does not accept everyone. While God loves everyone, God does not view everyone as desirable, as precious, as pleasant. He has offered salvation to all because of His unconditional love. But not all receive salvation because not everyone is precious, pleasant, and desirable. So this is what we need to learn from Daniel. He was a man greatly loved by God. That is, he was a man who was greatly desirable, greatly precious, greatly pleasant to our Father in heaven, and thus forgiveness would be bestowed on Him. And so when we want to be like Daniel, a man greatly loved, this is what we're striving to be. Well, what was it about Daniel that made him this kind of man? I'd like for us just to take a look at the chapters throughout the book of Daniel that talk about the various scenarios in his life. And no doubt we could spend lots and lots of time in each chapter But I just want us to boil down each chapter to one principle that we can gather from Daniel's life, that if we want to be people, that God can look at and say, you know what? You are greatly loved. You are desirable to me. You are precious to me. You are pleasant to me. We need to follow these exact same characteristics. So we'll turn to Daniel chapter 1. And as we look at Daniel chapter 1, the thing that I want you to notice is that Daniel stood out to obey God. If we... Excuse me, if we want to be desirable, precious, and pleasant to God, we need to be people who stand out in order to obey God. We know the story in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and his friends and many of the youths in Jerusalem have been taken captive. And they've been carried off to Babylon. And we know that Daniel gets there. And his name is changed from a name that praises God to another name. And now he's known as Belteshazzar. And Daniel doesn't say anything. We know that he is now enrolled in a completely different kind of education so that he can now be ensconced in the culture of the Babylonians and Daniel remains silent. However, it comes lunchtime. And they set food before him and verse 8 says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. We don't know what it was about this food that would be defiling, but Daniel, based upon his understanding of God's law, knew that if he ate this food, he would be defiled. He could handle the name change. He could handle the new education, but he would not defile himself before God. Now, the commander of the officials that had been set over them was just a little bit nervous about this. In verse 10 it said, The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigns your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. But Daniel came up with a plan. In verse 12 of Daniel 1, he says, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen, in verse 15, that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Daniel set forth this test, and he succeeded. And he looked better, and his three friends looked better than all the youths who ate the king's food. But what I want you to notice is that phrase. All the other youths who ate the king's food. 
For a long time I read Daniel chapter 1 and all I ever thought about was Daniel and his three friends. This passage has Daniel, his three friends, and all the youths who ate the king's food. There were a whole bunch of other Israelite youths who had been brought into captivity and they had had their names changed and they had been enrolled in this new education and they ate in the same cafeteria. But only Daniel and his three friends stood up and said, we will not defile ourselves. What an amazing stand of faith that had to be. In the presence of all these other captives, in the presence of the king who might chop off their heads, that Daniel and his three friends would stand up and stand out and be different in order to obey God. The text doesn't tell us, but I just can't help but wonder if some of the other youths around didn't try to tell them, look, don't cause trouble. (laughs) Don't make waves. Don't rock the boat. Let it go. But Daniel resolved himself that he would not be defiled with the king's food. And in order to do that, he had to stand out to obey God. We know Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that says to us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed with this world. Do not be formed with this world. Be different. Stand out by the renewing of your mind. Our thoughts are supposed to be different, therefore our actions are supposed to be different. And people ought to be able to look at us and say, there goes someone different. If we're going to obey God, we're going to have to stand out. If we're blending in, if we look like everyone else in the world, acting like everyone else in the world, thinking and talking like everyone else in the world, we're not being like Daniel. We won't be men and women greatly loved by God. We won't be precious, pleasant, and desirable to God. If we want to be precious, pleasant, and desirable, greatly loved, we're going to have to be willing to stand out and then take everything that goes with that. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. We know the story of Daniel chapter 2. It's the dream. The dream of the statue with the different parts. And what I want you to notice as we take a look at this chapter is that Daniel relied on and confessed God. You know the story. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. He refused to tell the wise men what the dream was because uh, I believe he refused to tell them. I know some think it's because he'd forgotten the dream, and that may be true, but, but I have a tendency to believe it's because Nebuchadnezzar is pretty smart. He knew that I could walk up to David and say, David, here's the dream I had last night. Tell me what it means. And David could fake it. But, but I can't walk up to David and say, hey, tell me what I dreamed last night. If he gets it right, that might mean David can see some things and know some things that, that I don't know. Right? So he goes to the wise men. By the way, I see some of you looking puzzled. I'm talking about David right down here, not King David. I'm talking about if I go to David right here. Okay? Didn't mix up. I'm not talking about David instead of Daniel. I'm saying if I go to David Coleman and ask him to tell me my dream and he can do it, that means something about David Coleman, right? All right, so that's the same thing with these wise men in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, I think, understands. If he just tells them what the dream is, they can fake it. So he doesn't. He expects them to tell him the dream and its interpretation. And none of the wise men can do it. And so Nebuchadnezzar decrees that all of the wise men should be killed. The message gets to Daniel. But Daniel, instead of acting rashly, 
Daniel, instead of acting in a panic, merely says, can you hold off for a while? And he's given a little bit of time. And notice what happens in Daniel 2, verse 17. In Daniel 2, verse 17, Daniel doesn't go back to his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and say to them, oh, we've got to get out of Dodge here, guys. I bought us some time. Let's pack our clothes. Let's leave. What he says is, Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19 Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He relied on God. But he didn't stop there. Notice when he comes back into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, down in verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretations? Daniel answered the king and said, Oh, yes, great king, I am the greatest of your wise men, and I have been able to determine what your dream is. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what my Bible says. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then he tells him the dream, and then he tells him the vision. Do you see what Daniel does? In time of trouble, in fact, at all times, Daniel relies on God, and then Daniel confesses God. When Daniel could have taken the glory for himself, he didn't. He pointed the glory to God. And that's exactly what we, as children of God, if we want to be precious, pleasant, and desirable, need to do. If we want to be men and women greatly loved, we need to rely on God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about this very principle. As he pointed out that we should not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, this is interesting. Did you notice he didn't say, Well, don't worry about if you have a really nice house. He didn't say, don't be anxious if you have a really good car. He didn't say, don't be anxious if you have a good washer and dryer or a computer or a television. He said, don't be anxious for what you eat. Now, if you woke up this morning and you weren't sure if you were going to get to eat today, could you follow that command? He says, don't be anxious for what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious for what you're going to drink. I have to be honest with you, there has never been a single day in my life where I woke up and was really worried about whether or not I was going to get to eat today. But think about this. If, if God says we shouldn't even worry when that's at stake, how little should we worry about what's going to happen down the road? How little should we worry about what kind of house we have? How little should we worry about what kind of car we're going to drive? Or how many gizmos and gadgets we own? Rely on God to take care of us. And if we rely on God and seek His will first, He will take care of us. Now, He may not give us all the luxuries, but He will take care of us. And in addition to relying on God, we learn from Daniel that we have to confess God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We need to be willing to talk about Jesus, to talk about the Father, to talk about the Spirit before the world. We need to be willing to acknowledge to them what God has done for us, to confess to them that we haven't done any of this on our own, but it's by the grace of God. We'll skip chapter 3 because, of course, that's not about Daniel, but that's about his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we'll go to Daniel chapter 4. And I want you to notice in this chapter that Daniel did not withhold the truth of God's warning. Here in Daniel chapter 4, we're dealing with another dream, but what we need to think about is the difference between this dream and the dream in chapter 2 because the dream in chapter 2 said that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was the head of gold. The greatest kingdom on the face of the earth in history, he was told. But in chapter 4, the dream gave a rather bleaker picture. That dream said that he was a proud, sinful, unrighteous man who was going to be cut down and sent out to act as a beast of the field for seven periods of time. And we don't know what those periods of time were, whether it was hours, days, weeks, months, seasons, years, or whether it was even just a figurative number, just saying seven, that is the completeness of time. But for some period of time, Nebuchadnezzar was going to be like a beast of the field. Insane. What I really want you to notice, though, is Daniel's response. Daniel knows the dream now. And in chapter 4 and verse 19, Daniel says this, Belteshazzar was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Here's the thing I want you to realize. Daniel didn't want to give this message to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was alarmed by this message. He didn't want to be the one that came to Nebuchadnezzar and offered the message of judgment and warning. It alarmed him. It dismayed him. He wanted it to keep silent. He wanted it to be about someone else, but not about his king, Nebuchadnezzar. However, what did Daniel do? Daniel told him anyway, in verse 20, beginning, the tree you saw which grew became strong, and he continues with the interpretation. Then verse 27, he even offers a warning. He offers advice. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you've got to do. You've got to change. You've got to stop. You've got to do something different, or you're going to be judged. And how many people, of course, could have said to Daniel, you have no right to judge Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel might have said, I'm not the one doing the judging. I'm just passing on the judge's words. And I have to tell you, I'm like Daniel sometimes. I'm dismayed. I'm alarmed by the things that we have to tell people sometimes, especially when it comes to friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. And, and sometimes I don't want to talk to them about it. I don't want to rock the boat. What might happen to our relationship if I start telling them what the judge has said? And yet, if I want to be, and if we want to be men and women greatly loved, we have to walk through that fear and that dismay and that alarm and offer God's warning anyway. Not because we are the judges, 
but because we have the judge's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11 it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. All too often I know for me, knowing the fear of men, I don't persuade them. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And that was Daniel. Daniel was dismayed and Daniel was alarmed, but he feared the Lord and so he persuaded Nebuchadnezzar. He warned him. And that is exactly what we have to do if we're going to be precious, pleasant, and desirable to our God in heaven. The story continues in Daniel chapter 5. And what I hope you'll notice in Daniel chapter 5 is that Daniel chose God's reward over man's reward. We know the story. Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is now king of Babylon, and he's throwing a party. And you'll remember that when Nebuchadnezzar had taken Judah captive, he had destroyed the temple and he had taken the utensils of the temple that had been separated and and sanctified, made holy in order to be used in the service of our Lord God, He took those utensils and brought them back to his own treasury. Now Belshazzar takes those very utensils, those holy utensils, set apart for the service of God and uses them for a drunken feast. And can you imagine what it would be like if just right smack here in the middle of this sermon there a big hand appeared and wrote a message on that wall over there? That's what happened in the middle of this reveling. And the king's knees shook. And he didn't know what to do. And the queen mother said, I know what you should do. There was a man who could always help Nebuchadnezzar in these kind of situations. Send for Daniel. And Belshazzar had said in Daniel chapter 5, and I have to get over to Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar had said in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 7, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then when Daniel came into his presence, in verse 16, he repeated it to Daniel. He said, I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. But what I want you to notice is Daniel's response. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel was not concerned about the reward from man. Daniel was unconcerned about having the purple robe and the chain about his neck and being the third in command in the nation. Could you imagine being that person? But Daniel didn't have one foot in both worlds. Daniel wasn't trying to serve the Lord, but also just get as far along as he could in the realms of man. Daniel wasn't doing what he did so that he could progress in man's eyes. Daniel wanted to serve the Lord. Now, the Lord had blessed him. And when all was said and done, he gave the interpretation and Belshazzar rewarded him anyway. But the point we need to recognize is that's not what Daniel was shooting for. And how often... Do we as Christians sometimes try to use godliness and Christianity as a means of material gain? And so often when that's the case, we allow things to be compromised. 
Because in the end, in general, when folks stick with the Word of God, people don't like it. We need to remember what we just read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where it pointed out that we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will add all these things to us. Instead of being concerned about the material things of the world and the rewards of men, we need to be focused on the righteousness and kingdom of God. In fact, in chapter 6 and verse 1 of Matthew, it had said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We're not supposed to be focusing on this. And then Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's what we need to focus on. What is above? If we want to be precious, pleasant, and desirable to God, we need to be like Daniel. More concerned with man's reward than with God. More concerned with God's reward than with man's. And finally, Daniel chapter 6. And the thing that I hope that you'll notice in Daniel chapter 6 is that Daniel was loyal and trustworthy to both man and God. Once again, this is one of the stories that we know so well. Babylon has been overthrown. Cyrus, king of the Medo-Persians, has overtaken and has apparently set up Darius over the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel has survived the power shift. What does that say about God's blessing? And how often does that happen? The whole kingdom changes, but Daniel survives and is still an official in the new kingdom. And not only that, he's progressing beyond everybody else, and in fact, everybody else is starting to get a little bit upset. And so it says in verse 4, the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. They were looking for an error. They were looking for a fault. They were looking for some place where Daniel was doing something wrong. I even like the way the New American Standard talks about it because it says they also looked for a place where he was neglecting something. They, they looked for, to find some place where he was purposely doing something wrong, maybe embezzling funds. But then they also looked for a place where he was just neglecting something. And they couldn't find either one. He did his job. He did his job well. He was true and loyal to people. But then they said to themselves, well, I guess the only way we're actually going to be able to get him is if we find something against his God. And that amazes me. Daniel's co-workers knew that Daniel would continue in prayer even if it was illegal. How many of our co-workers know that we pray at all? But they knew Daniel prayed. They knew that Daniel would continue to pray even if it became illegal. And so they went and got the king to sign a document. Make it illegal to pray to anybody but you, king, for the next 30 days. And the, the penalty will be, will, throw, will be throwing them to the lines. What did Daniel do in verse 10? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. One of the things that most intrigues me about that is that I have not found one single place in all of Scripture that says that for a person to pray, in all the Old Testament, there's not one law that says you have to do it in an open window for everybody else to see. 
Daniel could very easily have just changed his location of prayer, continued praying, continued obeying God, and they wouldn't have seen it. But I think that what Daniel wanted to demonstrate, he feared that these men might think that they had stopped him from praying. They knew that's what he had done three times a day. And if all of a sudden he wasn't there in that window, they might think that he wasn't praying anymore. And he would rather be seen as loyal to his God, even if it cost his life. And so he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, in his window facing Jerusalem. He was loyal to God. If we want to be precious, pleasant, and desirable, we need to be loyal to men and to God. I think about the advice that Paul gave to slaves in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Whether we're a slave or not, I think this is a principle that we should follow. When it comes to our work, when it comes to our loyalty to those around us, we need to be serving others and working as though it was for Jesus Himself. Those who have authority over us need to see us as loyal and trustworthy. Not just as eye-pleasers. There's only one exception to that. And that's when being loyal to man means we have to be disloyal to God. Because we must always demonstrate our loyalty to God. And that's exactly what Daniel said. Daniel was loyal to his king. No fault, no neglect in serving his king. Until the king said, it's illegal for you to pray. And then Daniel had his loyalty to God above that. I think about Acts chapter 4 and verse 19. Peter and John have been told to no longer teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered them in Acts 4 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, where they also answered, saying, we must obey God rather than men. Loyalty to God. If we want to be precious, pleasant, and desirable to God, we need to be loyal to man and loyal to God above all else. Daniel was a man greatly loved. And we don't have to have epiphanies and theophanies to know that God greatly loves us. We just need to be like Daniel. We need to be people who are willing to stand out in order to obey God. We need to be people who rely on God and confess God. We need to be people who are willing to work through our fears and offer God's warning even when it dismays us. We need to be people who seek God's rewards above man's rewards. And we need to be people who are loyal and trustworthy to both man and God. And then we'll know that we are men and women greatly loved. Precious, pleasant, and desirable. How you doing?